talking about. There are just days when you get up and, uh, and, and you start to do things and it just seems like, okay, it's going to be, it's going to be one of those days. I got to the church this morning uh, pretty early because that's just my normal Sunday morning routine to pray over things and, and, and go through things. And I had come into this room and I, I, had, I set up something on the stage. And the shoes that I'm wearing this morning are newer. I mean, I've had them for a few months, but they're newer. And they have leather soles. And the, the leather on the soles is not fully scuffed up yet. You know what I'm talking about if you've got leather-soled shoes. And so I walked over and I was stepping off of the edge here and I slid and I fell right on my behind, right here, like literally right here. And that should have been my first sign, like it's going to be a day, right? That, that should have been the moment where I knew it's going to be one of those days. But other things have happened this morning and I appreciate that you guys have hung in there with us. We've been a bit, uh, a bit hurried, a bit scattered trying to deal with all the little things and fix what we could fix and and bring back online what we could bring back online and, and, and do all the things. And in the midst of all of that, I haven't gotten to do my normal Sunday morning routine, right? So I'm, I'm, uh, what you're going to get from me this morning as much as anything is just really from the heart, what I've studied this week, what I've soaked in, what I've, what I've marinated on. A lot of times my practice is I preach this to myself on a Sunday morning before I preach it to you, and I haven't gotten to do that yet. But I'm thankful that in God's providence, the text that we're in this morning in Romans chapter 10 is, I suppose, if there is ever a a, a scripture that we would say preaches itself, it's this. If there's ever a text that we read it, and we don't have to do a lot to just say, look, there it is. Do this. Put this into practice. Do this in your life. This morning, we have that text. Romans chapter 10. We're going to read verses 5 through 13. But in the middle of that is Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, which I imagine you could say by heart, even if you didn't know that you could, and even as we read those verses together this morning, it'll be instantly familiar to you. But this is what I want to ask us to do this morning. I want to ask us to see this with fresh eyes, to see it, first of all, in context, because context is important. So much of the time when we read Romans 10, 9, and 10, we're reading it or thinking about it or meditating on it in the context perhaps of like the Romans road, which is not inappropriate, but it's not seeing in its full context as well. We're not typically reading verses 5, 6, 7, 8, and then 11, 12, and 13 with it, right? But this morning we will. And so I want to encourage you as we see it in context, as we understand it in its context, let's pray. God, speak to us this morning. We've already prayed that. Spirit, move us. Help us to see this with fresh eyes. And then here's the key. This is really what it all comes down to. This is really the the terminus, the end point for us. It's not just that we would see it and that we would walk away and think, oh, well, that's good, or oh, I learned something I didn't know today, but rather that we would see it and that we would be stirred from within to respond in obedience, that we would be moved by God's Holy Spirit. For, for some, maybe today, whether you're in the room or you've joined online, perhaps for you, that step of obedience today would be to take the step of faith that Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10 speak about, that you would place your faith and trust in Christ, that you would confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, and you would, you would respond in, in obedience today by surrendering your life to Christ. Or maybe 
Maybe for us, it's to consider what it says in verse 11 or what it says in verse 12 and and to think about that particular application. We'll go there. We'll get there as we work our way through the text this morning. But I want to encourage you, hang with me as we do this. Uh, It's cooling slowly. The room is getting cooler minute by minute. And we've got the little ones with us today and all of that. I promise you, I'm going to keep it brief. I'm not going to go long with this but I think it is so important that we understand and know this scripture because it is so rich in in truth for us that that we would hear it, we would receive it, and live by this today. Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse 5, let's jump in. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. Now let me just pause for just a moment. I want, to give you, I, want to, I want to give you a brief aside here, and, uh, and this actually plays to something that Dr. Fisher said last week. Uh, Todd Fisher was here, the executive director of Oklahoma Baptist last week. He preached a passage, and one of the things that he talked about is there's some debate in, in more modern scholarship about did Moses really write the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, and he made the statement that one of the reasons that we ought to accept the fact that Moses wrote the first five books is because Jesus said Moses wrote the first five books, and he's right. In the Gospels, Jesus refers to that. Well, here's Paul, another first century Jew. Again, Paul is not Jesus. His word does not carry the weight that Jesus' word carries, but nonetheless, here is another, here is another uh, testament In the Scripture, Paul is writing this inspired by the Holy Spirit, and he says that Moses wrote, and then he quotes, and there's a couple of references here, both to Leviticus and the book of Deuteronomy. If you've got a Bible that's got cross-references and footnotes, you can look those up and chase that. We're not going to spend a lot of time this morning chasing the actual references, but he's referencing Old Testament Scripture here, and I think that's an important point. I'm, I'm glad to connect that dot. I was glad Dr. Fisher said that last week. I think it's important for us to see that again, that one of the reasons that we can that we can go to the the text, like in the Old Testament, for example, and say, it's important for us. It it has authority for us. It's because even Jesus said as much, and, and, and Paul certainly believes as much. But the point that he's making here is that, there, that what Moses wrote about in the law, Moses wrote about righteousness through the law, but, but the argument that Paul is going to use in just a moment is that that's not, that's not the righteousness that we receive through faith in Jesus. In fact, one of the points that scholars really and, and theologians will really dig in on on this particular text actually comes from verses 5 and 6. And aside from what I'm telling you right now, we're not going to spend a lot of time in verses 5 and 6 this morning. But when, when theologians read this, they really dig in and they say, okay, so are there two types of righteousness? And you'll see that as we continue. Is there a righteousness through the law and then a righteousness by faith? And, and that's not what Paul is indicating. In fact, Paul is reading the Old Testament through the lens of the work of Christ here, and we ought to do the same. Paul is interpreting Leviticus chapter 18, Deuteronomy chapter 30. Paul, Paul is interpreting those Old Testament texts in light of who Jesus was and what Jesus had done. And that's the way that we ought to see them as well, because Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. He didn't come to do away with it, but rather to fulfill the law. And that's the point here. There was a righteousness that the law pointed to, but that was insufficient. But then there is a righteousness that is accomplished through what Jesus did, and that is our hope and our faith. That is the guarantee. That is where our salvation lies. And that's what Paul is saying, if I can just summarize it in that way. All right, let's jump back in. Verse 6. 
but the righteousness based on faith. And that's our, that's our focus this morning, the righteousness based on faith. The righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Praise God that that word is true, that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Again, remember, if you think backward to what we've been studying for months now, Paul's writing to a church that has two distinct groups in the mix. The, the Jews and the Gentiles, or essentially everyone who's not a Jew. So those who were Jewish and those who were not. And the Jews, they understood the gospel, but they understood the gospel against the background, the, the, the landscape of their, of their heritage. And the Gentiles, they understood the gospel and they believed the gospel, but they also understood the gospel against the background or the landscape, we might say, of of their past and their experiences, and they were rather distinct. They were rather different from one another. And what Paul is saying is that although you guys may be different, you guys isn't the word that Paul uses, right? That's, that's, that's how we would talk. Paul is saying, although you guys may be different from one another, and you may have a lot of things that are distinct from and, and individual to your two groups, at the foot of the cross, the ground is level. And there is no distinction between whether you were a, a Jew or a Greek, whether you, whether you grew up in the faith or whether you've come to the faith more recently. Paul is saying that the same Christ has saved us all and transformed us all. And we believed on Him. We all believed on Him by faith the same way, confessing Him and believing in our heart. And that has the power to transform us. Praise God that it does. And, and praise God that that's still true for us today. Because the truth is, even in this room and, and, and hearing me preach and teach this morning, there's a, there's a host of people with a variety of backgrounds. Some have grown up in the church, and much like me. Some have grown up in, in the church, and you've grown up, and, and maybe, you've, maybe you've always kind of walked the straight and narrow. You've kind of towed the line. I've uh, in so many ways, that's my past. If you hear my testimony and you know a little bit about my story and my background, I mean, I, I suppose by, by a lot of people's standards, I lived a pretty squeaky clean life. Now, I could certainly point to all the sin and, and the depth of my depravity in my heart. I'm not going to do that for you this morning, by the way. You're not my, you're not my, my therapist, right? That's not, I'm not here to open up and tell you all my dark secrets. But the bottom line is, there's plenty of sin in my past. But by, by all accounts, I suppose, you could say, yeah, that guy's, he's done a lot of things right, and he's lived a good life. And similarly, there are people who are here that you can identify. Maybe that's your story as well. There are also people in this room who would say, you know what? I was a wretch, and I did so much, and, and I can look backward at my story, and they can point to the things that they've done, and they can point to failure after failure, mistake after mistake, wrong after wrong, sin after sin, but would say, 
But praise God, I was set free from all of that when I believed in Jesus. And I trusted fully in him for forgiveness, and I, was, and I was granted that forgiveness. And my sins were atoned. The past was erased. I was given a hope and a future. And praise God, my whole life was changed. And the, the reality is it doesn't matter what your background and your track record might say. It doesn't matter if, you, if you've kind of always been involved in church, or you've always lived a good life, or you've always, or, or if you were just a mess, and praise God, somewhere along the way, you found Jesus. It doesn't matter in, the, in as much as thinking, well, uh, I'm more saved, or I'm less saved. No, because when we came to Jesus, we surrendered all of that. We recognized that apart from a saving work of Christ, there's nothing we could do to fix ourselves. And so, if you grew up in the church every Sunday, and you, were, and you were there every time the doors are open. Or, frankly, if you never went to church, and even now, just, you, you, you know, you're, you're hit and miss. If you have called on the name of Jesus, praise God, you've been saved. You've been transformed. You've been changed. And this is the power of our story. Jesus died on the cross for us. Here's the real truth that we see. Here's the real, the real essence of our faith that we understand. That even those of us who could say, yeah, I was a pretty good guy. I was a pretty good girl. Even those of us who can do that, the truth is, we fall so far short of God's standard of righteousness. We miss the mark at every turn along the way. Romans chapter 3, verse 10. What did we learn when we studied that weeks ago? There is no one who is righteous. Not one. None of us is deserving of God's forgiveness. And yet, freely, richly, it's, it's bestowed on everyone who comes to Jesus. And that's the argument that Paul is making here. There is no salvation through the law. There's no righteousness that we earn through being good or keeping the law. But there is a righteousness based on faith. And what do we learn when we focus on the righteousness based on faith? We learn that God is near to us and His Word is in our hearts because if we have confessed with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believed in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, we've been saved. And now God's Holy Spirit abides in us, dwells with us richly through faith in Christ. And so I want us to see three key things about this righteousness based on faith that verse 6 talks about that we see in this passage this morning. The first is this, that righteousness based on faith begins inwardly. It begins inwardly. Think about what verses 9 and 10 tell us. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you will be saved, is what verse 9 says. And then it goes on to explain that in verse 10, with the heart one believes and is justified, with the mouth one confesses and saves. So the first picture we see there is of something that's taking place inside of us. There have been a lot of people, maybe, maybe you're one, there have been a lot of people that I've known through the years, a lot of Christians who at some point in their life professed outwardly faith in Jesus but later came to realize that the inward transformation had never taken place. Maybe you walked an aisle. Maybe you had an emotional experience. Maybe you heard the gospel preached and you responded out of, out of fear or you responded to that emotion somehow. And later in your life, you came to realize, I had an emotional moment. I had a, I had a, 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 a moment based on a conviction perhaps, but there wasn't true surrender. And later you came to the place where you said, I want to surrender my life to Jesus. I think probably most Christians wrestle with that to some extent. And, and, 
Certainly I did, because I was really young when I came to faith. I was seven years old when I trusted in Christ by faith. And around the age of 14, God really began to work in my heart. And at first, the first thing that I really began to wrestle with is, am I truly saved? Have I really surrendered my life to Jesus? Did I really submit myself to Him? And through, through prayer and through godly counsel, I came to the place where I realized, yes, I had. But there have been a lot of other people who, came to, who, who had a similar type of experience, and, and perhaps you realize the answer was, no, I didn't. And so later you made the decision. Well, I, at the age of 14, realized, yes, I, I gave my life to Christ when I was seven because I understood the basics of the gospel. And truly, with a sincere and repentant heart, I called on the name of Jesus. And so that pointed me to ask the question at 14, well, then what is God trying to say? What is God wanting to do? And, and pulling at that thread, so to speak, led me ultimately to surrender my life to ministry. That was how God was working in my heart and tugging at me inwardly to point me and direct me towards something that He had for me. But your experience may be different from that. But regardless of what your experience is or how your story may be similar to or different from mine, the bottom line is this. When we come to salvation in Christ, that, that journey begins first inwardly. We sense the Holy Spirit working, speaking to us. There's that inward conviction of our sin. There is that, that understanding that we must have, that I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. And before we can ever see an outward transformation or we see things that take place Outwardly, it's got to happen first inwardly. As we believe in our heart and then confess that to be true. And that's what Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10 tell us. It begins inwardly. But here's the incredible thing. And this is what I really want you to see. There is a key word in Romans chapter 9, or excuse me, 10, verse 9, that is so important. It's a simple word. It's, it's, the, uh, it's the word to be would be the, the way that we would describe it if we were to see it in its lexical form, right? It's will be as it is here because it's, it's in the future tense. But think about the verb to be, right? The verb to be. Now, maybe you've studied languages. Maybe you took some Spanish or some French or some German or, or you, you've studied another language along the way. I took Spanish throughout high school. I took four years of Spanish in high school, another year of Spanish in college. And uh, although I, I'm far from fluent in Spanish, I understand uh, enough of the language to get by. And I remember when I was in my freshman year of high school in my Spanish 1 class that we learned that in Spanish they actually have two verbs for to be, ser and estar. And if you've ever studied Spanish, if, if I'm quite literally speaking a foreign language to you, right? But I mean, if you've never studied Spanish, then that's totally foreign to you. You have no idea what I'm talking about. But in Spanish, there are two words that mean to be. There's ser and there's estar. And my Spanish teacher taught us to put a star in its place. And so when you, when you use the verb a star to be in Spanish, that's when it has to do with a, a position, a location, an attitude, a condition, or an emotion. So place, P-L-A-C-E. And so you use that version of to be when it's referring to one of those things, and you use ser when it's referring to something else, right? I've remembered that. Here I am many, many years later, and I still, I remember that. Put a star, in it, right? That verb to be is an important verb in our English language, in any language, because it's the verb of action. It's the verb uh, that we would translate, like in English, it would be am, is, are, was, were, 
right? It's, it's an important word, and you, when you begin to hear those words and you think about how much we use those words. Well, this word, will be, in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, is so important. Because consider what Romans 10, 9 does not say for a moment. Romans 10, 9 does not say, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, then you might be saved. It doesn't say that you you are on your way to salvation. It doesn't say that that's the first step. It doesn't say that, oh, okay, good, now you, now you understand the, the no, what, what is it? You will be saved. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart, you will be saved. Praise God, we can anchor our lives and our hope and our eternal destiny to that truth. But if you confess with your mouth, And believe in your heart what you confess. That is to say that if it begins inwardly and then it works its way out, you will be saved. You will be saved. And that's the second point we see kind of just flowing right from that, right? Righteousness based on faith begins inwardly and then righteousness based on faith becomes outward. So it begins inwardly with the the belief and then the confession itself. That's That's indicative of the outworking, that we begin to confess it, we begin to say it, we begin to show it, we begin to demonstrate it and display it in the way that we live, so that what is happening inwardly is, is showing itself outwardly in our lives. There's a transformation, there is a, there is a change that takes place. In, in the world of theology, we often would use these, these two words that, that represent what I want to think of here as the, the the two sides of this coin, all right? If you've got, think of a coin, it's got heads and tails. We've got the two sides of the equation here, right? The inward and the outward. The inward is reflective of what we would consider to be belief, our beliefs, what we believe, our right beliefs. And so the the theological word for that is orthodoxy, and that just means sound belief, sound doctrine, sound faith. And so there's an element of our salvation that is rooted in sound belief, that we have believed in the right things. But then there's an element that we have acted on those beliefs as well. And that's what we would refer to as orthopraxy. So you can think praxy kind of sounds like the word practice. It's what we do, right? So it's what we believe and what we do, the two sides of this equation, the two sides of this coin. Right beliefs ought to lead to right behaviors. Our beliefs and our behaviors are married together so that what begins inwardly works its way outward in our life. So that if you've believed in Jesus and you've confessed Him as Lord and Savior, then it ought to show in your life. There ought to be some fruit that demonstrates that belief. And that really points us to the third point that I want us to see is that righteousness based on faith brings transformation. Righteousness based on faith brings transformation. So it begins inwardly, it becomes outward, and it brings transformation that takes place in us. And that's what I see in verse 11. The Scripture says, everyone who believes on Him will not be put to shame. Meaning that if your belief is rooted in the right things and your faith is genuine and sincere, then you will not be put to shame. There will be a transformation. There will be a change that takes place and you will receive ultimately fully the hope of what you've trusted in. Now, some of that happens in this life. 
here and now. Some of that happens in this reality as, as, as God works in us and He's moving in our hearts, and some of that comes in the future, in, in the things that we will realize fully when we meet Jesus face to face. But regardless, our beliefs then drive our behaviors, which brings about transformation in our lives. And it's not based upon the law. That's the initial part of his argument. It's not a righteousness based upon the law, because the law points us to our need for righteousness, but in and of itself, the law can't do it. Because ultimately, why? Because we can't keep the law. Because we can't keep the law perfectly. No one is capable of doing that because we're far from perfect. And so the law points us to our need for something greater. Praise God, Jesus is that something greater. And He did for us what we could never do for ourselves by dying on the cross, by fulfilling the law perfectly so that when we place our faith and our trust in Jesus, as it says in verse 11, we will not be put to shame. And then he goes on to write, there's no distinction between Jew or Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all. And this again is the argument that I was pointing to earlier. Doesn't matter what your background, doesn't matter what your past, doesn't matter what you've done, doesn't matter whether you've grown up in the church, doesn't matter whether you grew up Baptist or some other denomination or some other faith, doesn't matter even at this point in your life, it doesn't matter if, if, if people would look at you and say, yeah, she's got it all together, or if they would look at you and say, he's still such a mess. The question is this, have you trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin? Have you confessed him as your Lord and Savior? Is there an inward belief that is driving your outward behavior and bringing about a Holy Spirit-led transformation in your heart, in your life? Have you trusted in Jesus? I think that's the ultimate question for us to ask ourselves today. Have I trusted in Jesus? Is there a moment in my life when I've surrendered my heart and my life to Him? Is there a moment in my life when I have submitted myself, yielded myself to his authority and said, Lord, I believe there's nothing I can do to save myself, but I'm not trusting in myself for salvation. I'm believing in you. If there's never been that moment, then today, even in just a moment, as we sing a song of response, a song of invitation, I would invite you to make this the day that you receive Jesus by faith. I would invite you to make this the day that you call on Him as Savior and Lord. And even as we're singing this song, Brad and I will be standing here at the front, and there was nothing that would thrill our hearts more than to lead you through a prayer of surrender, that you would say, Lord, I admit my sins to you. I believe that you died on the cross. Even now, I receive you as Lord and Savior. I ask you to forgive me of my sin. And I confess you truly as Lord of my life. And if you would surrender your life to Jesus today, then you will be saved. Not you might be saved, not you could be saved, not you ought to be saved, not, yeah, you're on the... No. If you would trust in Jesus, then you will be saved. It's today the day that God is calling you to to faith, to salvation in Jesus. I want to invite you to bow your head with me and close your eyes. And even as we think on that question, we ask ourselves that important question. I'm going to 